Yes, well, <laughs> very nice, mate. That's a good way to start the show. It is. The Under the Bar podcast here with Tom Hewitt and Rodan Dubois and uh, Cameron Menegoni. Menegoni in the Menigoni. house. Menegoni. Just give us a wookie off the top, Woo. Cam, if you wouldn't mind. Hey. <laughs> That's very good. Whenever he does that, I look for Han Solo. Yes. Can't see him. But he's, he could be somewhere. He could. Lurking. Well, we are in the Millennium Falcon as we speak. A <laughs> uh, big show coming up today, Rodan, on this episode. We're introducing... The aforementioned, yes. after previous episodes, we've really laid and built yeah. this one up, but uh, Broderick Chavez... Well, hopefully he delivers. The evil genius. Mm, He's mm, going to be mm, on the program mm, today, mm. and we're going to use him today as a bit of a case study expert to yes. break down a few little bits and pieces. Well, there's a wealth of experience there. He's been um, in the industry the probably longer than you and I combined. And he has a, uh, a biology background so mm. he and chemistry as well considers himself a yeah like a biologist. biologist one of the great things about broderick is that he talks about the body as a machine and he draws analogies that are quite easy to yep. to get your head around mm-hmm. how these complex systems work yep. but then you can also see the effectiveness of of treating the body as a machine mm. when mm. you're trying to do extreme mm. things with it mm. yeah no he, he really does and so we're going to have a, a look at a case study one of these scenarios, Rodan, that we've all been in, I'm mm-hmm. sure there's many coaches out there that have had yes, a client yes. that has been under-eating, over-training, yep. in a desperate attempt to drop mm. body fat, which hasn't worked, and they come in, and all of a sudden you give them some more food and, mm. and some less training, and they magically start dropping body yes. fat. And you want, and you think you're a genius, mm. an evil mm. genius. An evil genius, but, yes. but how does it actually happen? And mm. I've asked many people this. It's a bit like the hypertrophy thing. Yeah, very What's complex. actually going on in the body? Under w- the hood. When you give it more food and take exercise away and it drops fat. Mm. From a, a mechanistic perspective, yep. as a machine, what's mm. going on? Yeah. And so that's what we're going to pick Broderick's uh, brains on today. Mm. So we're really looking forward to that. Yeah, very good, very good. <laughs> and that's a conundrum. And we all, we've all had one or two clients that just uh, defy the laws of... Uh, Thermodynamics. Yeah, yeah. thermodynamics and and nature. (laughs) Yeah, like very exciting. Now, obviously, you and I roared and stress levels have sort of zeroed back down post-seminar. We're getting back into just normal function. Mm -hmm. You know, the digestive Mm -hmm. system's coming back online. It's now back to you stress, not distress. Precisely. Gas gas principle there. We'll 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 talk about that. But with seminars on our mind, Mm. there is quite a heavy seminar mm. schedule booked a heavy out. flow <laughs> a real <laughs> it's a very heavy oh, 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 a very he- <laughs> heavy flow of seminars <laughs> mate it's like a murder of crows you it know did. it's just how you what you say with seminars it's like a, a collection of seminars uh, highly inappropriate a murder of seminars <laughs> yes. coming up this year at the icon performance health center uh-huh, uh-huh. now first off the bat we've got christian maurice coming out yep. uh, for level one and level two uh, australian tour australian it's, tour yeah so we're going to take you through the dates of that because that's important yep also, Rodan, did you want to chuck out something like I think the under the bar? It's it's sort of uh, taken on a life of its own now. Yeah. Well, the, the 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 funny thing is we had some positive feedback. Yeah. So that's sort of unfortunately that's encouraged us to consider, you know, potentially around two and round three. So uh, yeah, middle of the year, towards the July, end of the year, potentially. And then November. So, uh, yeah. That's yeah. Let's just dangle that carrot out there. Probably if we if we start sort of pulling our finger out now, we can have something by July. Yeah rather than leaving it to the last couple of weeks, as we do. But essentially, the uh, business development manager at Icon, Emily, yep, and UTB campaign manager, manager. Tazzy, Tazzy, have, yep. uh, the rock, on our behalf, mm. have started organising things behind the scenes. So mm. th- it, there's not much we can do about no. it, mate, except... It's organic. Go through the stress of preparing it yes. all and, and, you know, and doing it again. So 
July and November for that. Yeah, pencil that one. Uh, uh, right, I think that's pretty much all we need to go through now. Yep. Let's, uh, Let's balls it. deep into the show. Yes. Okay, pen and pad handy, and uh, yep. jot down these dotes uh, for the Christian Maurice yes. Body Transformation Clinic. Right, so he didn't get to Perth last year, so he's going over to Perth, mm-hmm. April 28th through to the 30th. And that's with... Uh, Adam, Adam and Christy Glossop. Yep, yep. They're at the there at Tough Team. Tough Team. Yeah, F Team. They're at... Uh, uh, at the lovely suburb of Wangara. Wangara. Just chuck it at reception over at Wangara, would <laughs> would you, Tommy? <laughs> but uh, they're, they're, they're funny over that part of the world, but it is a beautiful place. And um, Yeah. So he's heading there first, is he? Yeah, he's going there first. Mm-hmm. April 28th to the 30th. Yep. Okay. So, so Christian so Maurice, was that level one and two there? No, or? that's just level one. Level one, okay. Right. Then he goes to Melbourne. Ah, finally getting to Melbourne finally with uh, Sam. Melbourne. Is he down with uh, Sam Hanna? Big Sam Hanna. At Iron at Game. Iron Game Fitness. Yep, IGF. May 5 to 7. So April, the 5th to the May. 7th yep, that would be second. May. Yep. That's second trip. And then to finish off his Australian tour. Tour. He heads up to the Icon Performance Centre in Sydney. Yep. And he's there from the 10th to the 14th of May. Okay. And so he does the level one, yep. which will go the 10th, 11th, and 12th. Mm-hmm. And then the level two... 13th and, and 14th. And what's level two going to be? So, so lev- level one was fantastic. It was It's amazing. Highly recommended for everyone that's a, a coach, a PT in the industry. Yep. For but all the uh, the five pillars. Yep. Uh, psychology, nutrition, yep. mm-hmm. exercise, uh-huh. functional medicine. Look at this guy. There might have been something else yeah, in there There's another well. pillar in there somewhere. But, um, Rodan, we had this conversation after yeah, post, the, the Under the Bar post. seminar thing. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep quite a difference between getting up and, and giving a presentation on a particular topic. Yeah, funny, you spoke about this. And then actually having a class of people there in front of you for... A Mate, you were, you were bang on, robot-like. It was good. <laughs> Lecturing. Get up there and do your thing. But yeah. what, what Christian Maurice does is he's more like a school teacher. Oh, he's such a fancy pants, you know, isn't he? He's, he's actually educating the guys. He's educating the guys. He's so up you actually there. learn something when you're at Christian Maurice's yeah. seminar. He's got a whiteboard. Uh-huh. He's at the front of the class like yep. a school teacher. Mm-hmm. He paces around and he scratches his head. Mm. and he draws things. We call that a noggin in the industry. <laughs> and Scratches the noggin. He'll stick with an individual until they get yes. a concept and really understand it. And the advantage there is the rest of the team also, they're listening and they're learning. So it's uh, he uses, I think, uh, specific examples in the, the group where people don't get it. Yep. Spends a bit of time and then we're all, we all don't get it either. And then we're all like, oh yeah, now we get it. Now we get it. That That's a real skill to be admired. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and you have to have such a detailed knowledge and understanding yeah. of your content. A, um, a real depth of knowledge. Yes, and so he'll break down, you know, all the systems of the body, the digestive yep, system, yep, yep. You, you know, the endocrine system, and yep. put things into a way that you can understand it and start applying things. Yes. But then the level two, uh, from what I understand, Ruin, and, and we got an email through from uh, Mary Pierre. Yeah, yeah. Um, She's gorgeous, the Mary Pierre. Isn't she gorgeous? This is going to be about blood analysis. Okay. So two days... Two days on blood work. Wow! As far as I, as far as I can tell, thus far, that's for yeah. the level two. Well, that's uh, that's uh, it, that blood analysis and that blood chemistry and in, in interpreting uh, that side of things does seem to be uh, what quite a few coaches are interested in. Mm. I know. Uh, uh, shout out to Dave and Bianca down at Five EW Fifth Element Wellness. 
Uh, but Dave O'Brien's doing some really amazing things. He's He has pushed balls deep into the blood chemistry. And mm. uh, all, all the clients that go through 5EW have a, a very thorough, comprehensive blood analysis. And he's getting some amazing results with the manipulation of, of much like Dr. Vinesh does, that, that our, our listeners will know that, that you coach Dr. Vinesh and he yep. presented the Underbar Seminar, much like he does with his uh, custom uh, supplementation formulas and, and, and various uh, pathology work that he he does, but but Dave sort of uh, specialised a bit of a niche for himself, and and from what I gather, he's he's doing some pretty amazing things, and one of the the more reputable guys. If you do want to delve into the having a look at your blood chemistry and um, uh, or, or clients' blood chemistry work, you can actually contact uh, David Bryan down at Five EW. Yep. So a good mate. Just give a bit of a shout out for him. But yeah, it seems to be something that a lot of coaches are interested in, and but they don't really know where to start or what yeah. to look for or, yeah. you know, what's relevant. And, um, you know, even with uh, when we did their Under the Bar uh, seminar there a couple of weeks ago, even Dr. Vanesh's presentation, which was whittled down to be as layman's terms as it could be, albeit it was the end of the day and we, you know, we, we, were, we were a few uh, coffees short of how many we needed to uh, take in that level of detail. But, yeah. but even when it is dumbed down, it is still something that you need to have... Uh, your wits about and 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 really have a, a a better understanding of it if you are going to tackle mm. uh, running some blood chemistry with you with your clients and 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 interpreting to some degree and albeit the significant stuff you leave with the doctors but there are little things that you can take away from it so mm. yeah and maybe so th- this would be awesome though. presumably with christian maurice yeah uh, school teacher scratching the noggin yeah uh, yep, yep. two days on blood work he'd spend Mate. the time to actually teach you about it so that you you'd understand be, you'd be guru swami at the end of it yep yep so that's exciting those are the dates perth april 28 to the 30th melbourne may 5th to the 7th and Sydney, May 10th to the 14th. That's level one and two. Yep. You can go to the Christian Maurice Elemental World website yes. and do all your various bookings and registrations there. Yep. There's probably some information on the Icon Performance Health website as well. So Very good. But shout out to Adam and uh, Christy over in Perth, the Glossops at the Tough Team, and of course Sam Hanna yep. uh, doing some really good things down at Iron Game Fitness. Shout out to Sam as well. Love Beautiful. your work. Yep. Uh, so yeah, hopefully we'll uh, we'll see all you guys there either in Perth, Melbourne, or Sydney. Okay, great. The evil genius Broderick Chavez coming up on the program very shortly, Rod. And before we get to him, mm. what we thought we'd do is just expand on one of the concepts that he's going to make reference to in his interview. Ah, uh, yep, yep. And yep. that is the concept or the general adaptation syndrome mm. or the gas. Mm principle yeah not the gas that, that you might be thinking of tom this is a uh, different gas <laughs> yeah and uh, <laughs> gas uh, the general adaptation syndrome yes is one of those principles that i um, think we got exposed to in i don't know year eight or nine biology yes something like that and obviously we paid no attention to it then no and now later in life we've started to realize that some of the stuff they actually taught at school was useful mm. but in the context of our interview yes. he's talking about it in terms of the body's response to stress. Yeah, and there which will, is the gas. Which is the gas principle. principle. And it's quite similar to the, the stress recovery adaptation cycle that Mark Buckley has referenced yeah, on that, the program. And, and our listeners might be familiar with the concept of that super compensation. You know, see that curve drops down, the body, given it enough time, it adapts and comes back stronger. So that's, a, yeah. that's the gas principle as well. Now, Broderick's going to be talking about gas in reference to the individual who responds favorably 
after they've been given some more calories and, and, mm, and mm. some less exercise. That scenario we referenced at the top of the show. And essentially making the point that, you know, the body doesn't make the adaptation to the stress until the stress has actually been removed. Mm. And so we'll let him go balls deep into that. Yeah. But what we thought we'd do is expand on this one in the context of hypertrophy, Rawdon, because it's one of the things that you spoke about in your presentation. Yes. And uh, <laughs> my very, very schmancy presentation. Yes. Yes. And the analogy that actual uh, that uh, the evil genius is going to make reference to here is mm. the sunburn analogy. And, yeah, well, and, suntan, getting a suntan. You know, you go out and you go out in the sun, you lie in the mm. sun, the sun is the stimulus, mm. the body makes an adaptation stimuli. by, uh, you know, bronzing up very, very nicely. A little bit of brownness going on. But you don't want to go out balls deep into the sun. Been no. there, done that. Yeah. That's unpleasant. So a suntan is best developed gradually, little bits and pieces yes. over time. Yep. And you drew the analogy with uh, quite similar to hypertrophy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I. I I drew the analogy quite similar to hypertrophy because that's what Broderick told me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't actually think of anything myself. No. You know, I just regurgitate what others tell that's me. That's not the end of the bar way. No. Right. Uh, so the gas the gas principle, the, the Hans Selly's uh, uh, super grip. No, the, the glue. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, Hans. But anyway, he, uh, he basically... Um, so general adaptation syndrome. I yep. mean... The said principle is sim- similar as well. The mm-hmm. specific adaptation to an imposed demand. I mean, yep. that, that's similar. Like a stress, uh, 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 the demand's placed on, on, on the body and it, and it adapts to it. The specific yep. adaptation. We won't go balls deep, but, you know, just just, just slightly Flirt in. Flirt around the edges. Yeah, we'll just, uh, we'll just tease a little with this Tip-toe one. Tiptoe around the precipice. Yeah. <laughs> precipice word of the day. But basically, <laughs> three stages. Alarm, resistance, and exhaustion. Exhaustion is basically where you've gone too far and the body will start shutting down. So you really want to um, exist in that alarm and that resistance stage. But, you know, the alarm stage, uh, that fight or flight initial response, you know, cortisol, adrenaline, that type of stuff will be cranked up. Uh, the resistance, the, you know, the nervous system will return to a baseline. The body starts recovering, but the body's still in, a, in that uh, alert stage. The adaptation will then occur if the stressor uh, is removed, uh, similar to what you... Uh, described with the the broderick how, how you know the, the actual stress had to be removed for the body before adapts. the adaptation can take place yeah. yeah and 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 if the stress continues the body can really become beat up and you know uh, general adaptation syndrome wasn't necessarily all about hypertrophy i mean he's talking no. about just the the, the body uh, in organisms in general this is yes. a fundamental concept of biology yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly which is absolutely fascinating and and where it lends itself to hypertrophy is that hypertrophy is just that uh, that stress being applied on the body at you know different muscles at any one time, uh, the body having that uh, that state of shock and that that initial reaction to the stimulus, and I suppose that uh, that drop in performance and like you mentioned that uh, stimulus a recovery adaptation curve or that cycle it floats pretty much in unison with the the gas principle or that general adaptation syndrome. So yeah. the stress is put on, we train. There's a drop in performance, and then we, we wait a, a length of time, and then there's going to be a, a positive adaptation if the, the environment is set up correctly with, with correct nutrition and, and rest and recovery. That going into that parasympathetic state, then that recovery can occur. And, and, and really, what you want is that overcompensation and that adaptation to occur. And that's where you spoke about the, the suntan over time. So we, we apply these frequent bouts in the sun, and we get a nice suntan, it looks really schmick. You know, same with training. You know, we apply the stimulus, we recover, apply the stimulus, recover, stimulus, recover, and that is the magic of hypertrophy. Yes. If, however, you know, you do do some of these training 
uh, systems and workouts that are, are, are far above and beyond what the body can actually handle. The stress is just so intense that you know the body can only uh, recover from it. Doesn't have that overcompensation and that and that overcompensation is fundamentally hypertrophy or, or yep. new contractile protein and, yep. and, and muscle mass. So that's actually what we want. We want a, 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 an overcompensation. So we need to have that stimulus at an adequate level to drive an adaptation, but not so significant that all the body can do is just uh, survive the onslaught yeah, of training. Yeah, yeah. So let's, uh, just, let's just break that down a little yeah bit. Yeah, man, let's go for it. Because one of the, the key fundamentals that you spoke about in your presentation, and, mm. and this is, a, I guess, a fundamental of hypertrophy, when you're looking at that stress recovery adaptation cycle yep. and that period of time that the body needs to make a positive adaptation yes. to the stress yep. as an individual wants to grow and as they become more advanced mm. the window for that adaptation yes. to occur gets smaller and smaller yes one of the key principles that your presentation was based upon and what you do with your programming these days is mm. frequency yes so you need to be able to find the magic balance between stimulating the muscle frequently yep. enough to get it through that cycle yep. before it starts to come back down to baseline. Yeah, exactly. You, ideally, you should be training that body part as soon as it's uh, had that positive adaptation and it's ready to Get go in there again. and go again. Now, the, the issue that can occur if you get into the gym, you do one of these ball-breaking leg workouts, Correct. It's total annihilation, mm. is that the stress is, is so intense, mm. the recovery process takes so long and you've lost the window of being able to train with the frequency again to hit it again yeah 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 like well you're ticking one box for uh, creating a disruption of homeostasis a uh, big stress big af uh, stimulus and uh and a disruption to homeostasis but so that's a tick but you're not ticking the box with frequency and ultimately volume as well over over a given period those mm. have to succumb to the the brutal slaughtering of of the lower body that you gave it on the monday and one of the things that uh seems to not be a, a favorable proxy of hypertrophy is significant muscle damage some muscle damage yes it occurs that's that's part of the process and the inflammation response in the muscle and it clears all the damaged tissue out and the new contractile protein occurs the satellite cell proliferation and blah 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 all that cool stuff mm -hmm. uh, occurs and that's part of that myofibular hypertrophy which goes hand in hand with the sarcoplasmic the two occur in unison most likely yes but if you invest exclusively in muscle damage then it's at the the expense of being able to hit the muscle with a, a more optimal frequency and a more optimal volume because you are going to be beat up uh, so significantly from that workout that yeah the body doesn't have a chance to um, overcompensate it it just really it can all it can do is take it the body back to a level of baseline so you're not you, I mean I'm not saying it's black and white like this but generally speaking if you do base your training around that style of training where it's just such a, a crazy uh, intense uh, huge volume in one individual session mm. the I mean it's the body's in a state of shock and, and, and it just it's not a, a an optimal way it can be done that way but you're you're missing a few of the more, far more significant influences on on hypertrophy because Brad Schoenfeld has shown that that, that muscle damage it's not necessarily more hypertrophy is not equated to more muscle damage. damage. Some muscle damage due to focusing on mechanical tension, so a, a, a certain percentage of your one rep max, yep. i.e. not too light, uh, but not super heavy. Mm. 
and and of course the the, the muscle damage that occurs with some mod- metabolic stress so the more of the lactic acid fueled metabolite training think high repetitions the muscle damage that occurs with those two are more than enough to uh, disrupt that homeostasis and get a, a hypertrophic response and that's far more practical and and uh, sustainable uh, sustainable and, and and arguably optimal way to to train rather than those it, it, because you sort of look at it and it's like yeah cool okay well I'll, I'll train legs once a week but I'll destroy it to so I can't you know I, I can't move for a week mm. well you know over time that's probably going to uh, reveal that it's not going to really take the model the body into that new growth that, 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 that you actually desire yeah and the point you made with um, you know the, the more advanced the athlete gets yeah that, that workout window and that that uh, that uh, general adaptation uh, syndrome curve type thing, uh, the S stimulus recovery adaptation cycle curve, how long it lasts, gets shorter and shorter and shorter, mm. generally speaking. And uh, the window of opportunity for someone like myself, uh, that intermediate to advanced type uh, demographic, is actually much shorter. So generally for those individuals you know more volume and more frequency will take the individual to that next level of hypertrophy if you're at a certain level now you got to look at increasing frequency and uh that that total volume uh over over the given mm. week but, um, so to look at the suntan analogy rawdon let's yeah. say over the course of the summer you decide i'm going to get a really nice suntan so yep. you go out you know first day of summer it's really smoking hot out there yeah, give yourself a good ninety minutes both sides out in the Ooh, sun. Yeah, um, really you, you've got you've got skin like you and I, like mm, the traditional white. moon tan, mm-hmm. and you're horrifically burnt. Yep, peeling everywhere. Can't, can't go in the sun. Can't even sit down on a leather chair. Yep, because it's, it's, everything's searing hot to the touch. Yep, and then it's actually you know a couple of weeks before you get a chance to get back out in the out, exactly. the, out of the sun again. Whereas if we'd just been you know just patient, mm. fifteen minutes either uh-huh. side, mm-hmm. two to three times a week, and mm. gradually built this just just a Flip nice. The burger. Flip it over. <laughs> Still aside, yeah. <laughs> this nice little tan that develops. Uh-huh. And then as the months go on, you can spend sort of 25 to 30 minutes aside. And exactly. Take it, and you start to, you can increase your capacity exactly. to, to take it. And then at the end of the summer, you've got this lovely, nice brown. Mm, golden brown uh, golden tan. Golden brown tan. Mm, <laughs> you mm. can sp- spend a nice, decent time. Yeah, you can spend that 90 minutes. You spend that 90 minutes. You can do that 90 and minutes. And you can do it. Mm. But to try and um, to, to try and achieve it with 90-minute bursts, you know, in, interspersed with yeah. these, these horrific stressful healing yep. sessions mm. is mm. Uh, by no means optimal exactly exactly so um, uh, a fascinating concept and mm. one that's i think most people can get their head around but then i guess the detail is putting that plan together putting that plan yeah. together and and you know certain parts of the body smaller body parts can handle a high frequency yep. and, and and there's some nice uh i mean if we're going to throw some numbers out just to wrap things up you know two times a week at least for every part of the body and we're talking hypertrophy, so HST, hypertrophy-specific training. Not, I'm not talking strength training. Yep. So we're focusing on hypertrophy here. So mi- minimum twice a week for everything. Probably more like 48 hours. Every 48 is training that 48 hours training that body part. Three times a week, probably in that that realm of of optimal. The more advanced the athlete gets, but up to you know five six t- times a week for for a given body part for mm. some advanced athletes could be. Uh, a very good way to, to take them from where they're at to that next level. I will, however, just end by saying that type of, of overreaching and that type of uh, self-destructive training can be an effective stimulus for a short period. Yeah. Uh, you, everyone out there in, in UTB land would have heard of overreaching and, and that super accumulation that the Polycon main famous 
is basically that concept of two weeks of overreaching and then allowing that adaptation to occur. So what I quite like is with my current meso soups or meso cycles <laughs> that I that I program. Yes. It's an eight week duration, but the last six uh, week six and week seven, those last two weeks before I throw them into a little bit of a deload. Weeks of hell. Weeks of hell. But that's when their total volume will be peaking their intensity will be peaking their rate of perceived exertion will be peaking and it's all uh like they're 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 climbing that that uh that that mountain to that yeah. and they're getting to the, the peak. final yeah, ascension to the peak. yeah you know like at everest where it's, yeah. Like, yeah, it's really really uh tough at the end there that's what they're doing for that week six and seven but they i i i slightly overreached them just for those two weeks deload them and then the first week of the new miso soup is actually uh quite low uh, total uh, MAV. So yes. the individual will sort of start with a lower uh, weekly volume end with a high, uh, much higher weekly volume, which is probably closer to their max recover volume. But mm. I, MAV I, is the max adaptable volume? Yeah. So you, you, in a perfect world, you'd float somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So you, enough volume that you can adapt, adapt from it, but to. not just recover from yeah. it. You want yeah. that adaptation Actually to adapt. occur. Yeah. But I would put them uh, teetering on the edge of that MRV or slightly over by the end of that week seven, if everything goes perfectly, deload them, recovery, time to recover, mm. adaptation to occur, uh, and then that first week or two has lower volumous, and then it starts building into the, yep. the next mesocycle. So really cool, you can actually incorporate that style of training, but it's uh, to, to, to go like that from the get-go, it, it, I, I really think it's it's not an optimal way to train, and, and there's more and more research coming out to, to actually show Support that. Support that, yep. yeah. You are indeed a wizard. Well done. <laughs> let's uh, let's go to the evil genius himself yes. and uh, get this show on the road. Oh, yeah. No! No! <laughs> oh, right. Mate, this is something new. I'm, I'm a little scared, Tom. What's going on here, the mate? Moment. This is What's really, all this about? Really creepy. Well, mate, we alluded a couple of weeks ago to having a, a very special... News mm. segment yeah. coming up for 2017 on the podcast. and Someone that's actually uh, far more skilled than us with uh, probably deliver some decent content for a change. That's exciting too. Well, uh, I mean, Aside from our other guests. Yes, uh, that's what keeps us ticking along here, Rod, and you and mm. I do our thing, but it's the, mm. the content from well, this wonderful guest that we get on the program. <laughs> yes, yes. So we've got Roderick Chavez, Rod, and, and mm. uh, in your raft of uh, many consults that you do, yeah. you've undertaken a bit of a mentoring system yeah, with, with our next guest, Roderick, and yep. he runs evil genius sports performance mm. we'll get Broderick to have a bit of a chat about how he got to where he is but everything from nutrition body composition mm. strength and power development yep. preparation for, for contests and athletic mm. performance he covers it all and it's all science based you, yeah. you know he's got a background in biology mm. so chemistry I think they're floating around in there as well so well versed uh, well educated shall well we educated say. and far more capable than you yes. or I Broderick welcome to the podcast mate and thank you so much for your time Absolutely. I'm really excited to be here. I can't wait. Very good. And it's, and it's direct from uh, Delaware, USA, which is, uh, there's plenty to do in Delaware, isn't there, uh, Broderick? <laughs> well, it's, it, it's one of the many reasons how and where I wound up where I am, is that just uh, the, the lack of uh, outside stimulus has uh, created a bit of an introvert, and I, I spend my time uh, doing research, reading research papers, and uh, not partaking of the outside world because uh, <laughs> here in this little corner there really isn't much okay very very Beautiful. good so how did it all get started for you uh broderick obviously you're a power lifting background but mm. where the intense interest in all the, the things body yeah um 
Well, it's it's a it's a long twisted story, and I don't want to labor you with all of that. But the real simple version is, at about eight years old, I saw uh, Vasily Alexia and Ken Patera on television on the wide world of sports. I don't know if that's something that filters all the way to yeah, the other yeah. side of the globe, yeah, but got that. it was a big it was a big deal. And uh, I literally looked at that, and uh, I looked again, and I looked at my grandparents who I was living with at the time, and I I, I said. People lift weights for a job. That's a job, yeah. and they kind of just yeah, sure, whatever. And I and I just immediately at that moment decided, well, that's what I'm fucking doing. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great job. Hell and yeah. uh, you know, like everything with a little kid, they assumed it would go away. And you know, every day for two years, I can I go to the gym? Can I lift weights? And of course, the answer was no. And on my tenth birthday, uh, Christmas Day. Well, actually, just my birthday was in November. On Christmas Day, 1981, I was given a gift certificate to the local gym which was a block away and uh that was the very first day i walked into a commercial gym and performed a workout and um uh, i was basically just committed to that for the rest of my life from that moment on wow and, and i'm now 40 i'm now 45 so it. it's been a very long time in the course of that i uh, i was a bit of a prodigy bodybuilder i competed on the high level the national and and even the international level as a teenager uh, after I turned uh, into the juniors, I decided to take up powerlifting, one, because I was good at it, and two, because I thought I needed a break from actual competitive bodybuilding. And uh, I, again, had a, more of an aptitude for powerlifting than even I did for bodybuilding. Coincidentally, my immersion into powerlifting put me in, in really good company. I got to spend a lot of time with uh, the great bodybuilder Tom Platts. Uh, through him, I met and spent a good deal of time with Dr. Fred Hatfield, uh, Dr. Duh. Tom Dieters, who was the editor of Muscle and Fitness all through the 80s when the magazine was actually good. <laughs> and uh, just be, you know, rubbing elbows with these people, I just got a lot of direction, a lot of, um, I don't want to say inside information, but I, I got to see the real workings of what it really was. Uh, and that directed my education. I then went to college, got a BS in biology and a minor in uh, analytical chemistry. I almost pursued uh, graduate work in evolutionary genetics. I actually deferred on that to pursue competitive powerlifting. And uh, just through being around all these really great people and collecting the education and having the kind of mind I did, it just lent itself very well to morphing into more of a coaching, consulting person than, than really a competitive athlete. I probably could have been a much better athlete than I was had I pursued it more seriously, but mm. I just my aptitude is is the knowledge and the uh, and the and the the under the hood stuff. Yeah. So that's okay. kind of how I got here. Fascinating. Led me to talking to you guys. Awesome, man. To the other side of the globe. Yes. Now, Broderick, obviously we want to get you on here to um, you know look at a few case studies and dispel a few myths. And one that's just popped up into the the front of my brain right now is quite often we're told that if you start training too early, you know, ten, oh, yeah. ten, bad, year, ten years stunt of age, growth. stunt your growth and bad mm. for your bones and whatever else. Well, what's the actual reality of that? Well, and what was it like to start training at ten years old? Did your body respond? Well, well let me let me start. Uh, as I often do with Rodon, and I think I frustrate him, let me start with just a simple po statement and then a simple point of logic. Yep. Um, the simple statement is, I am a biologist, and so everything I g am going to say to you is through the filter of that. Everybody is something first. They're either an athlete or they're fucking Iranian or they're something, and that's what they're going to project through. So I am a biologist. So any time you pose a question to me, I'm going to think of that 
happens in nature. What does biology do? And here's the thing. The modern world that we live in is so docile compared to the evolutionary world that people came to be in. Mm. If you think back just a few hundred years ago, at 10 years old, you were busting your ass in a field or, or in a factory or somewhere. You fucking worked for a living. Yeah. Mm. You, mm. Are you telling me that that doesn't compare to an hour or two workout you know, every day, every other day? Right. It's, it's ludicrous for people to mm. make those kinds of statements. Mm. It's simply that the world has become so genteel and docile mm. that anything aberrant suddenly is, oh, oh, that might be too much. That might be too serious. Yeah. When... 500 years ago, you were beating animals with a fucking rock to not starve. <laughs> yeah, true, true. It, it's just, but, it's just stu stuff like that is just, it's childish and embarrassing. Well, yeah. I, I will jump in there and I will say uh, that's very interesting, Broderick, and uh, I 100% agree. However, you are uh, quite short. <laughs> you know, so there's, there's a spanner in the works. I mean, it's a, it's a compelling argument. However, the absolute tallest person in my gene pool is six foot, and uh, both my mother and my grandmother didn't crack five foot. So I, I might come by it more more so, genetically so than not. What, uh, and and what, what was it like training then? I mean, obviously, were you, you know, some decent strength straight out of the box? Like, what, what was it like training actually, at 10 years old? Actually, that's part of how I got to where I was so quickly is I was more than a bit of a savant. Um, at 10 years old, I weighed, I don't know, 80 or 90 pounds, uh, you know, literally like 40 kilograms, give or take. Mm. And uh, I could squat double body weight the first time I ever walked into a gym. Wow. Um, so yeah. I, I, was, I was more than a bit of a savant. Um, but more importantly, it was the environment. Yeah. Um, the gym I first walked into was a gym called Competitor's Gym in Reading, Pennsylvania. And the, the, the owner of the gym was working out that day. That's the only reason I actually got to work out on Christmas Day because typically <laughs> Americans don't do shit on Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. uh, the owner of the gym was in there working out, and he was squatting, so I, that's what I did. <laughs> and literally the, the moral of this part of the story is I set up to the squat rack, I dip my head under, and I look forward, and I'm looking at a poster of the great Olympic lifter Vasily Alexia, and it was literally held to the wall not by thumbtacks or tape, but by the points of 18-gauge cattle syringes. Uh, so fair, fair cool. Literally, I was not given any quarter. I mean, I really was immersed in it from day one. I was like, oh, this, yeah, I, I'm here. This is the right place. Let's do this. Yeah. So, <laughs> isn't it uh, isn't it funny that the very um, model of inspiration that you saw on Wild World of Sports was the same figure <clears throat> on the wall in front of you as you were squatting the first time? Well, it, it it is kind of ironic, but yet if you really roll back the dial of time to that era, that was the standard. I mean, mm -hmm. it was it was him, Ken Patera, and then later maybe Bill Kazmaier, but those were the people. I mean, if you wanted to talk big and strong, you mentioned the name Vasily Alexia back yeah. then. Wow. So, Broderick, I'm, what am I, 36, and uh, Rawdon and I sort of make jokes about this, about me, uh, you know, struggling to put mm. on any additional um, mm. muscle mass, you know, am I tapping out my, uh, mm. you know, potential. magenic potential? Mm. You've been training since you were 10 years of age. When did you start having to think about ways to break plateaus for yourself personally at 10 years of age like when did it start to when did you start to hit advanced honestly it almost from a mentality point of view it was almost from day one because again i was just thrown into the deep end 
you know, almost immediately, you know, I was squatting three days a week, you know, 10 sets of 10, three days a week. And, <laughs> uh, you know, almost immediately I was just, you know, basically buried in overtraining and, mm. you know, had a, a you know, obvious recovery problem because I was training way too much and way too, and, and in way too advanced concepts for the time. Yeah. But the, the interesting part was that made me stretch for the for the extra i had to stretch on you know i was dealing with recovery modalities long before this goofy crossfit world that we live in now thinks they're common practice you know i was doing ice baths and 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 saunas and stuff when i was 12 <laughs> simply because if i didn't i couldn't get to the gym the next day and that was completely unacceptable wow. so to well, me it, it was I just kind of i mean that was just the world i lived in it was just that's how things were done you 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 did that or you stayed home and watched television and played with yourself yeah, it's yeah, just that's yeah. how you did it yeah no, there's anything wrong with that i mean uh <laughs> at home playing with yourself has its place i suppose but uh it's absolutely fascinating i thought i was uh you know i thought my effort at the age of 15 hitting the gym was uh reasonable but uh you certainly uh, pit me on that one mate 10 going to the gym well, that's I, awesome <laughs> i competed in my first powerlifting contest in 1984 i was 13 years old i competed in my first national level powerlifting contest in 86 i believe did my very first bodybuilding show in uh 88 1988 wow. so i did get a very very early start uh, tell me broderick just before we get on to um uh, the nuts and bolts of uh, what sure. we're gonna uh, use you for on the uh on the program what were your uh, numbers at that first i'm just curious you yeah. know some of our listeners will be like oh <laughs> he's stronger than me um, at the age of 13 what what yeah. did you uh what, what did you what were your three lifts um, I was at 13. I lifted into 132 division, 132 pounds. And if I remember 16. right, I squatted 303. I benched 150 or 55. I don't remember which. And I also deadlifted 303. So, so not one. staggering numbers, but, uh, you know. But about was, one, was 150, 140 kilos. kilos 140, 140, 145 kilos uh, deadlift squatted than you. Bench is, uh, you know, 70 odd 70, kilos. Yeah. That's Pretty good. That's reasonable. For a 13 year old. Very good, man. Very good. Okay, so we've got a bit of an idea who we who we got on air. Yeah, so obviously, yeah. you know, a wealth of experience, a pool that we can draw from. Draw so this from. is exciting. Where are we going, Tom? Well, we've all probably, all the coaches out there would have had this experience where a client comes in that has been horribly under eating and their body's been stuck at a certain weight for uh, extended periods of time and they haven't been able to shift weight and in an attempt to drop weight they've mm. gone lower and lower with their food and, and more and more cardio more and, more cardio kind of and, yep, yep, and yep, all yep. this kind of stuff and then you increase their calories hmm. reduce the amount of exercise they do and then all of a sudden they drop body weight they drop fat and the body starts starts responding you'll see the mm. scale weight go down the calipers measure the skin folds at, at leaner mm. at leaner folds and I've always just I've asked different people about this rorting you know, mm. what's What's actually happening in the body to make it do that? You know, because we, we talk about energy balance being king in a fat loss scenario. Yeah. And, and you've increased what they eat and you've reduced what they do, mm. yet they do still lose fat. So, mm. Broderick, if you that's, can... That's the, the, you know, you hear that thrown around. And I think it is misinterpreted by a lot in the industry, but it's the, the eat more to eat more, yeah. lose more, you know. It's like, well, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, why? Yeah. But uh, So, we're going we're gonna to get Broderick's insight into that. Then we have a particular case study that he's going to uh, pull yeah. apart for us. Yeah. Well, well I can give, I'll, I'll give the case study. So, I had a... Um, she was actually a world champion Muay Thai fighter coming in mm. 
for uh, nutrition, which you know I don't really deal with athletes, Rawdon. So I was a little no. bit, I was a bit nervous about that yeah, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, your your uh, yes. general population uh, slightly advanced. That would be your chosen demographic yeah, but yeah. rise to the challenge very so good so anyway she was eating I calculated she was eating about 1200 calories she was training 3 hours a day she had dreadful sleep mm. she, well that's that's going to be a that's going to be a big one, one. She'd, yeah. she'd sit and have dinner and actually think about training and she trains only with men so she'd be <laughs> eating a dinner before bed and thinking about being held in a chokehold how uh-huh. she got there and yeah. so she couldn't so I made her write down all of her thoughts about training and then sign mm-hmm. off the bottom of the page and then she's not allowed okay. to think about training until so like a, a grateful log, yeah, grateful sort of log kind of thing. Grateful log, yep. um, so increase the calories to 2100 mm-hmm. uh, she was eating very little carbs gave her around about 170 grams of carbs a day reduced yep. the training in duration and days per week mm-hmm. and she was I think she was eight kilos above a fighting weight for about six months and couldn't drop it. Okay, drop so what, so, uh, okay, so what's her goal fundamentally with you? What, what's she wanting to achieve? Uh, the, the fat loss, the weight loss. So you get the weight down closer to fighting weight, fat loss. And just have her nutrition sorted out. She yep. had, you know, she was just doing what she was doing. Okay. Um, and then or magically she came back two weeks later and she was a, a kilo and a half lighter on the scales. So everything works, but I just don't know why. Okay. So you're heading in the right direction, yeah. but a um, little... Yeah, the question mark, what the hell is going What's on? What's going on inside the body to make that happen? But then also, uh, I guess we'll, we'll get uh, Broderick's perspective on uh, an, uh, you know, his interpretation of training an athlete, how it differs from Gen Pop, and, yep. and the considerations and where to go forward, perhaps. Yeah, very good. Broderick, over to All you, right, mate. All right, guys. All right, guys. You, you might have to rein me in here because I really do have uh, <laughs> quite a, a sizable opinion on this. Okay, very good. Um, first, let's start here. Um, as you've described it, this original recipe that she brought to you was not your doing. Mm. So fortunately, I'm not insulting you directly. <laughs> but let me say this very succinctly to all those listening that really believe they have some wealth of knowledge to impart to the world. Mm. Bodybuilders are not athletes. Mm. Yes, they do some clever athletic shit. They lift weights, they do cardio, they stretch, they pose, they whatever. But that has absolutely nothing to do with actual athletics. Mm -hmm. If Joe Average Bodybuilder has a bad arm workout, eh, he has a bad arm workout. If Joe Average MMA Fighter has a bad workout, they get a bruised fucking trachea. Okay, they're really, really different. They're different on so many levels. Emotionally, physiologically, endocrinology, everything's different. Okay, A bodybuilder is never going to get a cracked orbital bone because they shanked a set of squats, where this lady very easily suffer that. So from the very beginning, it's really important to separate because as a bodybuilder, you might look at that and go, oh, you know, a small female, 1,200 calories, three hours a day. Oh, I know plenty of fitness chicks that do that. Mm. Yes. But the average bodybuilder works out hard, does their cardio hard, and then naps and mopes around and pisses and moans about how hungry they are the rest of the day. They don't actually do anything, Mm. not anything athletic. So I know that offends many, but and I'm I'm not being um, I'm not trying to besmirch bodybuilding. I love bodybuilding. I was a bodybuilder. But the reality is they have a very specific knowledge and skill set that does not translate to actual performance-based athletics, okay? So the gap expands as you move away from the pageantry of bodybuilding and into actual sports, particularly combat sports. So the whole thing I'm gonna lead forward must be predicated on that. 1,200 calories for a fitness chick or a figure chick or some sort of bikini athlete would be very appropriate. 
what you find in real athletics is they need somewhere between 50 and 100% more kilocalories per kilogram than bodybuilders, okay? Simply because there's real physical stresses involved. Actual sports, particularly combat sports, are just vastly more taxing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's where I would start with my predication of all of this is they're just relatively different things. Yep. Um, secondly, I would say just anytime you see sleep disturbances, I immediately think that there's probably physiological stresses in excess of what the body really wants. Sleep is a, again, being a biologist, sleep is a very natural, normal, and necessary biological function. When you see a function as normal as that, disrupted, something is wrong. You now must dissect the, the scenario and figure out what. Um, sleep is as fundamental as breathing and shitting. Uh, if it doesn't work right, the machine will break down. It's a, it's a fact, folks. Mm -hmm. So as, as a biologist, immediately I see bad sleep, I stop everything and look at the big picture. Um, now to kind of go sideways and answer your question, how you can reduce training volumes and increase calories and still see the desired effect of weight loss, Again, being a biologist, everyone out there, you two included, should just quick Wikipedia, uh, Dr. Hans Seil from the 1920s did studies on stress, wrote a very famous book called The Stress of Life, and developed the general adaptation syndrome. Yep. Gas. Gas. And yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it basically explains everything you ever need to know about biology. When you lay in the sun, the sun hits your skin, your skin becomes distressed, and then there's a reflex, and then you overcome the reflex, and the ultimate result is a tan. It's very, very simple. The point is, when you're talking about stress reflex, or the, the resulting action thereof, it always, the result always follows the cessation of the stress. You can't be under the stress and get the benefit from it. While you're laying in the sun, you are not tanning. You're fucking burning. Yeah. After you leave the sun, you then get the tan, potentially. Yeah. The very same processes are at work here. If you're consistently just dying and starving and running and, and, and you're, you're fleeing for your life, your body is doing everything in its power to resist change because it thinks, if I diminish even one bit, I will die. It's not until you actually cease the activity and cease the starvation that the body has an opportunity to go, oh, okay, let's let's do our biological functions. And one of them is, oh, we've had three months of calorie deficit. We need to burn some adipose tissue. Right. But the, the, the response always comes after the release of the stress, never during. It's, it's just fundamental okay. biology. So it's going to say on a, on a very simple level, it's just a matter of... Uh tackling that stress like what Tom did and and the thing is I suppose we do it and uh, and we might not see the the immediate response it might be a you know you've been putting the stressor on the body the low calories the you know the three hours training for an extended period and we change it and, and it might be a duration before you know the body will sense that it's uh, the stress but to, to some degree the stress has uh, ceased and then to right. the, the basic physiological um, you know, freeing up adipose tissue, reducing body fat. And that lag is, relatively speaking, proportional to the magnitude of the stressor. 
It's also dependent on the system. Like when you're talking about a suntan, it's entirely different than when you're talking about a systemic activity like you know, physical activity. But nonetheless, the greater the stress and the longer the duration of the stress, the longer the recovery period, mm. and then the, you know, the longer it will take to actually get to the resultant or desired effect. Mm. So when the body is in that stress state, Broderick in this case, and the energy balance is in a significant deficit, yet body weight doesn't change, is the body Correct. actually burning fat and replacing it with, you know, is it holding water or does it just not burn fat? Does it just keep itself the same? Right. How, how does it maintain that weight? Well, your body has, unlike man-made machines, your body has the ability to adjust on the fly. If you put, you know, a gallon of gasoline or, a, you know, two liters of gasoline in your automobile and you go out and drive, when you run out of fuel, it just fucking stops. And you're, you're, there you are. You're just sitting there yep. like an asshole you're in the middle of the road with you know, no ability to go. The body being developed over thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of years has developed all these ways to basically not die. It's yeah. why the species survived. Again, being a biologist, the fundamental action of any species, the fundamental purpose of any species is simply survival. Yeah. It's not to, you know, develop the ability to read and write or fucking go to Starbucks or whatever people think or fucking diddle with their iPhone. That's not the purpose of humanity. The <laughs> biological purpose of humanity is survival and nothing fucking else. Yes. So, yes. with that in mind, the body has developed all of these mechanisms for survival. So as the body recognizes that fuel tank's getting lower and lower and lower, it starts fiddling with things under the hood and through endocrinology and different methods of adjusting the fuel mixture and, and, and stealing from here and hiding there and doing all these things to try and get the vehicle to go just a little bit further before it fucking conks out. Mm. Because in biological terms, that conking out is ceasing to exist and making way for somebody else. So what you're seeing here is you're literally, tr by reducing this athlete's calories to such a low level and raising their training volumes to such a high level, what you're doing is literally training them day by day to perform at that level with less and less food. Not training them to get smaller or leaner or lighter, which might be the end result, but the result really is you're just training them to be so goddamn efficient in fuel that they yeah. can do it. Yes. Okay. Yep, that makes sense. So it's sense. an adaptation to the gas principle. So this is a exactly. A a a the adaptive stresses you're applying are not what you think. You think the adaptive responses are going to be, ooh, shedding a bunch of excess fuel, where the body sees it exactly the other way. It does says, do everything you possibly can to conserve that fuel, because if you don't, you'll die. Right. So, so, so you're, you're, li you're literally giving exactly the wrong message. And then so when the calories come back up, is the fat loss, so you mentioned sort of like the afterburn effect, so the stress has stopped, so the body then has a chance to say, oh, okay, well, I've been in a deficit for so long, so I'll burn the fat. But let's say rather than putting the, rather than I put into 2,100, say I put into 3,000, would she still lose fat? Or 4,000, would she still lose fat? Or does that 2,100 still represent a deficit relative to what she's doing? Well, there's, there's two answers to your question. In opposite order, that 2,100 calories is not necessarily super caloric. It's very possible that that is, in fact, still a deficit. Mm. Because, as I said, it's my experience that you typically find real athletes, little rabbit ears, real athletes, tend to need 50 to 100% more kilocalories per kilogram, meaning that that 1,200 could really you know, be as much as 24, 2,500 in real-world terms. Secondly, the answer to your first question is, 
yes, you even can still see fat loss in a super caloric environment because, again, being a biologist, and this is where, you know, Milo Saishev and all these other people will look at me and laugh and make fun of me, but the reality is <clears throat> when you talk to a real scientist, I think of myself as such, and Lyle McDonald would be a great example, mm. you'll hear this phrase over and over. It's about the average. It's the average over time. You don't lose weight in a day or in a meal or in even in a week. It's calories over time. If you've been starving for months and then you have a stupid fucking cheat meal and then you go right back to starving, guess what? You're still fucking starving. You just yeah. had one good meal. Yeah. The same thing applies here. The average across time is still a calorie deficit. Now, once you release that stress, you allow the body to function properly, mm. and it makes up the difference and does some of the work that it could have, should have, and would have done weeks ago. So yes, you can actually see a loss of fat in a super caloric environment for a bit, and then once the law of averages catches up with you, now then it would cease. Again, it's simple stressors. You're applying a stress and then releasing it, and then applying a stress and releasing it. It's as simple as that. That's a, I love that, uh, and I mean fat loss, and, and you'll attest this as well, Tommy. I mean it, it is that that average over time, and yeah. and in that scenario where you did jack up calories, say you did go four thousand. I mean initially with the metabolic rate like a snail, I mean fat may have gone on, but then over time they would then lose fat. Yes, you know, absolutely. Four thousand yeah. calories, jack it up. Okay, put on a little bit of fat. I mean, that would be like um, what you did was probably a far more conservative twenty-one hundred. You know, working out BMR, albeit uh, what Broderick alluded to, probably still under what she needs. Yeah, but enough to sort of send that message. Okay, you know, things are normalizing. Let's let's start exactly. moving well, fat. My my concern was that if I go too high, will she put on more fat? I didn't know what was going to happen, so I've since kept creeping them up. But that yeah. was my. The safest bet I could do that I felt like I could do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I would argue that um, it's a little bit like reverse dieting. It's essentially, and and you probably agree with this as well, Broderick. I mean, it's like a, a comp prep diet where you've, you know, towards the end. I mean, you you're not really going to get any. You've pretty much pushed it as the body as, as, as much as yeah. you possibly could, and and um, you know, post comp. I mean, the scenario is either you you bring up calories slowly over time and uh, minimize what fat gain you will get or you go back up bang put some fat on but then things normalize a little sooner and then you can start you know the the fundamental laws of of energy balance and everything else then come into play then mm. you can start doing the typical 10 10 well, under 20 under so i mean um, I, I i agree with all of that entirely but it's amazing to me and, and i'm not necessarily criticizing you guys specifically i i don't mean it that way but as a rule, bodybuilders tend to turn a blind eye to things they don't want to talk about. Um, you'll, you'll always hear this, you know, um, oh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to raise my calories for fear of gaining fat. But in a contest prep scenario, the final couple of days before a bodybuilding contest, somebody might go literally a, a hundred kilogram male might literally go from fifteen hundred calories. And then all of a sudden, in their quote carb up period, and I've done this to people, you know, stuff six, seven, eight hundred, even a thousand grams of carbohydrates a day for a couple of days. Mm. The resultant is not that they get fat as fuck, is it? No, they get big and round and awesome looking. <laughs> so the reality is, there's so many precedents of where you can actually do this, and the result is not getting fat. Why is it such a surprise when it crops up? 
kind of, or, dare I say, organically in, in, in normal training. Why mm. is that such a sudden taboo, and why is it so weird? Mm. The precedents are all over. You just have to look for them. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and, and uh, that is something that I do with my preparations. You know, I'll take calories down where they need to go, and then I'll bring them back up. And, you know, I think a lot of coaches will see that finish line pre-stage as that's where the the calories will get down to their lowest point and then and then they they do the carb load or whatever but my preparations will be a series of of calories coming quite low then then back up you know i don't fear uh taking calories back up to baseline or a surplus at you know six weeks out from comp you know and they're eating more food than they they almost ever have and then then we start the dieting process again and and i don't see you know, a significant amount of fat gain, if any. And even if there is, it's Absolutely. like, okay, you're going to take a, a step sideways. We'll put a little bit of fat on, but yeah. then we're going to ride this, This, uh, you know, they get they boost up. They, they might even put on a little muscle in that period. And then, you know, then they start the dieting process again, almost like that that diet break. Yeah. Um, before we uh, before we go sideways, forwards, backwards, wherever we're going with this conversation, I think Tommy would still really, the nuts and bolts of what is actually happening with the, uh, you know, well, let's say for argument's sake, 1,200 calories going in, a lot of energy expenditure. Is it like uh, from a, I mean, you mentioned the endogrine and, and under the hood, which all sounds very fascinating, but what about, let's lift that hood up and, 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 and look at what's happening. Is it uh, right. thyroid slowing? I mean, is there, well, um, I mean, it could, it could start, be a multitude of things, but. Let's but, start with my initial predication that bodybuilders are not athletes. And, and, and I, have a re- I have a reason for coming back to that. I'm not trying to just hammer bodybuilders and, you know, <laughs> point at them and oh you know you're funny silly people little suits broderick just before you go on just just for our listeners um would we classify general population slash body comp type training individuals in that just because we're talking about two athletes and and bodybuilders can we no can we put actually general population people actually respond very much to the center of the bell curve to basic biological principles they're actually quote more normal then bodybuilders would be on one end and high-level athletes on the other end. Okay, all right. General people typically respond with much quicker response times, much quicker release times, because they're so average. They don't have absurd body masses. They don't have absurdly low uh, body fats. They don't have incredibly sloth-like lifestyles like maybe your pro bodybuilder, or they don't have this incredibly active lifestyle of a professional fighter. Okay. So they're very much more normal. Things you do and the responses you see are, quote, far more normal. All right. So just for our listeners, because our listeners, some of them are bodybuilders, but a lot do not work with bodybuilders. They work with what we would call in those little rabbit ears, general population clientele. So I still want them to get a lot of value about uh, what what you're talking about. So I just want to clarify that. That's something something, um, I talk with Rod Rod on all the time. You can't cheat biology. Okay. (laughs) In the end, biology is always going to do what biology is going to do. Mm. The only thing you can do as an informed, intelligent coach and athlete is know what biology wants to do and try to position it in your day, week, life, year, whatever, to be most beneficial or at the very least, the least negative to you. Because you can't cheat biology. You know, calories are always gonna do what calories do. Activity is always gonna do what activity does. There's no cheating it, you will lose every time. Yes. All right. Cool. 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 Under the okay. hood. Under the hood. Let's go back okay. under the hood. So, so bodybuilders. With athletes. the under the hood thing, I started with picking on bodybuilders. Let me That's go fine. back to that because it's relevant. Yep. Okay. 
bodybuilders will do a little bit of cardio and they'll see this fabulous result. They'll lose body fat and they'll, all these good things will happen. But here's the thing. Again, bodybuilders are all the way to the left of that bell curve. They have enormous lean masses compared to the center of the bell curve. Mm. They have three, four, five times more muscle. And so any activity generates a really large response. Mm. And secondly, bodybuilders as a rule are actually in pretty shit physical condition. They're not really excellent at doing cardio. Mm. Whereas you take this MMA woman, doing three hours of cardio a day to her is so much less taxing because years and years of becoming proficient at this has made her exceedingly efficient. So three hours of hard work on her end is really only like 30 minutes of hard work Uh, to the bodybuilder. Okay, this is is good, this is good. That's incredibly relevant. Yeah, okay. and 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 that uh, you're gonna tie this in with you know on paper it looks like she's expending a, a huge amount of energy when in actual fact, combined with the uh, the lowering of uh, adapting to the you know jack all calories, she's also super 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 efficient at doing everything. Mm. So she would actually be uh, you know could run on the smell of an oily rag almost. Exactly, you've got somebody with a very low body mass and exquisitely tuned to performing the activity, which is the very definition of being a good athlete. You're really fucking good at what you do, okay? So she's incredibly efficient. She's wasting far less energy in the activity than the big gloppy bodybuilder with no real good biomechanics and this giant body weight and on and on and on. So now you take this scenario where you've got a light person, highly skilled, highly adapted, highly trained, and then Physiologically, they have the ability to lower circulating plasma thyroid levels, lowering target tissue sensitivity. Their actual GLUT4 at the, at the target tissue reduces. They essentially develop what would be the equivalent of insulin resistance. They do it rather naturally, which reduces the body's ability to lose and release body fat. So they actually, all these under the hood things are then piling up to you know, the, the reduced thyroid reduce, reduces the liberation of body fat into the bloodstream. That's going to reduce the amount of circulating fatty acids that she burns per unit activity. So that's a preservation of fat mechanism. And then you've got this insulin sensitivity issue. That's a preservation of fat mass. It's why diabetics tend to be fatter as a rule than regular people. It's because they have very poor reception to insulin or the over or under production of insulin, which is a whole separate issue. And then um, even uh, sex hormones. The, she could actually have you know, imbalances in estrogen to testosterone, mm. relative speaking to a woman. Again, that can radically impact your body mass indexes, Definitely. body mass uh, allocations, body composition. Even, um, circul- even um, waking and sleeping heart rates can be diminished, which again, you know, going back to that analogy of your automobile, the higher you rev that tachometer, the more fuel you're using. Yeah. So if your car had the ability to ever slowly over time, you know, reduce the number of RPMs it uses at, at, at motion, mm. well, it's going to become more fuel efficient. Let me, let me jump in so, there, Broderick, and um, just, just chime in and say, and you're probably tiptoeing towards the, uh, the sleep, and we all our listeners would be pretty aware that well, if we get a good night's sleep, we get a nice, big, juicy pulse of growth hormone. And, exactly. you know, your growth hormone is going to be a key uh, mediator of, uh, you know, freeing up fatty acids and, and, and keeping the body uh, lean. 
Uh, so yeah, there's another another avenue there that she's uh, missing out on. So it really is. And, and not coincidentally, that's my point in this, yes. is that biology is very, very systematic and predictable. If you take a moment and think, what are the things that make me fat? You write them down in a list. And then you say, what are the things that will keep me fat? Well, guess which list she's going to be on. Yeah. You know, every so, single thing. That's fascinating. It's very, so, very simple. So the, you might be, are you suggesting that from a biological perspective, you know, her sleep, uh, simply because of her chosen lifestyle and extreme stresses and training and, and zero calories, you know, they're all uh, causing the body to, well, you know, if I sleep, you know, I'm going to get a little leaner, get a little leaner, I don't have as much fat. Let's, you know, keep uh, stress hormones high in the evening, can't sleep, and that's another... Uh, you know, biological mechanism by which she will not get lean because mm. if she gets lean, and, and the, not the, only the, that, the body will from die. a truly survival point of view, that might also be an impetus to the creatures awake. Activity is low. That might be the opportunity to eat. That might be nature's very way of yeah. trying to prompt you. Yeah, into the to, kitchen. Exactly. Yeah. Love Again, it. nature has this incredible way. It's there's a, there's an old joke in in biology about a dog's nose. You know, a dog runs around and smells these things, you know, not because the nose is on the front, but the nose is literally leading the dog. Yeah. Mm. And then once the calories come back in and the stress, the, the body senses that it's a, you know, a less starvation environment, all these things like the reduced glute 4 translocation and the, the poor sleep, the insulin resistance, the, insulin yeah. resistance, the body starts to then tick these back over or is it a gradual process or it's like right okay it's absolutely gradual again that's one of the things i i hammer with my clients is you know they always come to me and well where's my cheat meal when's my cheat meal and i'm like (laughs) you can fucking cheat whenever you want but it means nothing it took you six months to get to where you're at now you're not going to fix it or change it with one meal okay again it is action over time biology is a very time relative concept Mm. you're not going to change anything once you don't go out in the sun for 12 hours and come inside and be fucking tan it takes days and days and days and days Mm. it's action over time so Mm. even once you make all the right choices and you fix everything it's not fixed you have to keep fixing it every single day for a very prolonged period of time until again that adaptative response gets the opportunity to show itself so and you're not going to get the response until you get recovery to the stressed system. It's just the way it is. It's fundamental biology. And anybody who wants to argue that shouldn't go to the doctor, shouldn't go to the dentist, shouldn't get a vaccination, because every fucking single piece of modern medicine is predicated on that very simple principle. Yeah. And and I, and I guess the on top of that, to, to throw a spanner in the works, you know, what uh, would be a suitable length of time for one person may not be a Absolutely. suitable length of time for another that yeah. that on top of that as much as we're all the same we're all different with individual variability so one person Absolutely. with a with a with a friend who well you know they dieted like this for 1200 calories and you know she did it for two years and then she was okay within a couple of weeks or or a week of eating a higher energy intake it's like well that was them and and that was then like 
And and I also, I mean, I'm going to jump in there while we're on a roll and say, you know, that's another, uh, I really love, and you probably get this as well, Broderick, is like, I get a, an athlete come to me and they're like, oh, you know, I get lean really easily. You know, last comp, I, it was really easy to dial in. Okay, cool. Well, that was last comp when you uh, had a different job and you had a desk job. Now you're a PT. You're, you're on your feet all day and mm. your sleep's poor because you, you work hours, long, much longer hours, and everything's vastly different. So what worked last time? It, isn't a given is, is, is pretty much irrelevant mm. it's like let's let's Absolutely. see how it goes this time Absolutely. because you know the again that uh, uh, said principle specific adaptation to impose demand or the gas principle I mean whatever the surroundings are the body will adapt to it mm. and it could be a vastly different preparation uh, to the last time so um, not, well, not only that but something bodybuilders tend to forget is the whole concept of bodybuilding maybe not so much with the figure and physique but with the whole concept of bodybuilding, the concept is to literally change your body, accrue muscle mass, and diminish body fat. So if you're doing it properly, you literally should not be the same as last time. Yeah, yes. true. Yes. True story. True. Literally, by definition, if you're the same as last time, you wasted a fucking year. Reevaluate your life, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, very good. Very evil, evil genius. Uh, very good. Okay. Well, I, you know, my evil genius thing is a moniker, but the really the reality is I try to think, in, at least in my mind, and maybe I'm deluding myself, I, I try to believe this is just fucking common sense. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I know the technical details, and I can explain to you the under the hood, but in reality, I mean, that should be pretty obvious to anyone. Hmm. You know, if, if it's a progressively, you know, changing s scenario, and you're not changing... You're fucking it up! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, in a very simplistic way. Beautiful. Yeah, just on the on the sleep thing, uh, Broderick, because we did uh, talk before we came on air and, and we alluded to your... Uh, you know, rather unique sleeping habits where you just ha have a day, 24 hours f full of little naps here and there. Hmm. I mean, is this something that you're just quite happy to live like that and that's how you're productive or would you, or you just simply cannot... And for our listeners in the same boat, I suppose. Yeah, you cannot lie down and have eight hours consistent sleep. I've literally been in a hospital medicated and I don't think I've slept eight hours in a row. Um, with me, it's, it's literally just a birth defect. I'm just the weird one. Um, all the doctors in my childhood told me that um, not sleeping well is a solid indicator of potential for uh, schizophrenia and that I should be very concerned. Um, but despite all the fear tactics, I've never slept eight hours in a row. I've never slept four hours in a row. Mm -hmm. Not in my entire life. Well, wow. um, so it's just it's just me. And quite honestly, I wish I could because everyone else looks so goddamned peaceful mm. and happy, and <laughs> they look so comforted when they mm. sleep. And I'm just walking around pacing, angry. So yeah, and, uh, I, I would I would trade in a moment, <laughs> but uh, there's nothing and, I can do to affect it. And uh, you know that might be that I, I usually take a screenshot of Broderick and uh, I throw it up on social media, yes. mental session, <laughs> and I always get a message from Broderick saying, "Man, can't you take a good photo of me, dude? Like seriously." And it's like, well, maybe because you're sleep deprived, uh, Broderick. Yeah. It's very hard for me <laughs> to take I mean, a great I, photo. I did actually log onto your website, Broderick, and have a look. And I've got to say, the photo on that's not much better than the ones that Rawdon puts yeah, up. Yeah, like it's, uh, well, it's a sleep thing. <laughs> so be it. Hey, uh, Broderick. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Let's um, let's. So we got a little bit of an idea of uh, Tom certainly heading in the right direction. Now the under the hood stuff. 
Uh, you did mention sleep. I'm just curious, uh, before okay. we ra- wrap this one up and we uh, bid farewell to our next time where we get you on and uh, tear another topic apart, uh, sure. how would you address sleep? Like, if you had this client, uh, you said that was a red flag to a ball. Okay, you've got the sleep. You know that's an issue. Where would you go? Uh, and, and Tom may have already done all this stuff already, but like, if you're in Tom's shoes, what would be? How would you uh, delve into the sleep thing and uh, try and achieve some resolution there? Well, here, here's the thing is I wouldn't do it the way you think. You immediately, I, I assume, I'm assuming, you would immediately think that I have some clever, quote, sleep solution. And that's not the case because I literally, as I joked in my early tirade, I think of sleep much like breathing and shitting mm. and any other biological process that just <laughs> happens I, normally. I, I love doing and those And that too. is, in fact, the reality yeah. is I think if you fix the underlying problems the sleep will resolve because it's just a normal, natural thing that 99% of the world does without any real effort. Okay, so it, would be, it yeah. would be not so much focusing on sleep. Oh, we've got to fix sleep. Let's fix this and it will fix the rest. It's more right. let's get the energy the balance. Let's, let's get... fix the overtraining. Yeah. Let's fix the endocrinology. Oh, lo and behold, the, the subject's asleep. Do, tell me, Tommy, you, you is, see what is, I mean? is, is, is her sleep started to be better since um, the dress under the hood? Yeah, yeah she, she's never slept better. She actually doesn't remember she's never felt refreshed mm. she's like this is, i can't actually believe feeling mm. refreshed and energetic in the morning just block your ears yeah. block your ears brother because this is how the other half live <laughs> okay so feeling refreshed that's amazing no, yeah. i'm well aware yeah. i, I yeah. i'm i'm a chronic insomniac and my wife has uh some sort of west african sleeping disease where she can sleep 20 hours a day and take a two-hour nap oh yeah, yeah. So. the tetsy fly maybe maybe they get yeah. a nibble of the tetsy fly <laughs> Okay, very good, very good. Okay, that's uh, I love that. It's more often than not we will gravitate. Okay, well let's throw some more magnesium in and uh, let, let, right. let's let's hone in on that sleep. But it's uh, well let's just get the the under the hood working a little better. Mm. And, it, and 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 I love it. All the pieces start falling into into place. You know, yeah. without with very exactly. little effort. And then, yeah. and, and then if you if you address it in that very general sense where you say, all right, the the organism is healthy the activity is healthy, Hmm. the results are healthy, and then you still have an anomalous problem, say, you know, sleep problems or joint pains or whatever, then it might be worth looking at more specific solutions. But a specific solution will not fix a systemic problem. Yeah, very good, very good. And there's, you know, if in doubt, there's always some sort of pharmaceutical or PED that uh, (laughs) that we can uh, prescribe, right, Roderick? And, and that's absolutely true, but again, <laughs> it should be the last resort, not the first. Yeah. I love drugs. I spend probably 10 hours a day drooling and reading and, and, and yeah. gawking over drugs, but the reality is they're the, really the last level yeah. of defense, yeah. not the first. Yeah, look, I, I'd, I'd completely uh, disagree with you and say drugs are first, but uh, <laughs> no, we're going to have to agree to disagree. I'm joking. Of course, that's very uh, good stuff. No, I'm, oh. I'm comfortable with that. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's not one of our conversations, Broderick. It's, you know, a, a G-rated conversation, yeah, yeah. all right? All right, very good, very good. Well, uh, I think uh, we might wrap it up there for today. Broderick, for you, if uh, there are listeners out there that want to um, actually do some online coaching with you, you've got time for consults, you've got some time to take on uh, a few new 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 clients and mentor sessions. Because I will say that he's actually working uh, with with Dr. Mike uh, behind the scenes. Mike um, is Rattel. Yeah, and uh, that's a pretty decent reference if he's... uh, 
deals with that caliber of uh, athlete. Um, so, Broderick, how can our listeners, uh, if they want more, if they want more of the evil genius, what, what, what should they do, mate? How can they contact you? Um, there's many ways to reach me. I'm all across all the social media stuff. But the easiest way is to reference my website, which is www.teamevilgsp.com. Through there, you can find my email address, my Facebook, and any of those modalities are fine to reach out. Just okay. title it with potential consult or consult request. Um, I'll look it over. I prioritize those. I'll contact you. We can you know, agree on times, international times, and, yep. and uh, pricing and all of that sort of thing. My rates are very reasonable. Yep, yep. Um, my temperament, I can't necessarily say, is so reasonable. <laughs> but listen to the podcast. I am what I am. I'm happy to help if I can. And that's about where I leave it. Beautiful. Wonderful. Sounds, Sounds awesome. Yeah. That was wonderful, Broderick. Thank you so much for your time, mate. No worries. I'll chat to you again next week, Broderick. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. As am I. Thank you. genius he's good to listen to isn't he yeah. I like him passionate I like it we'll definitely have uh, more of Broderick Chavez on the program over yep. the coming weeks and months looking forward to getting some uh, regular contributions for him yep. that's fantastic mate look I, I think that's um, something that we do overlook particularly for yourself Broad and I guess doing what you do is there is a, a vast distinction between dealing with a bodybuilder versus an actual athlete where athletic performance yeah. is the focus and um yeah and as much like you said as much as uh you know we think we're athletes we're a far cry from what an a- athlete actually is yeah. you know the the consequence of uh failing a squat you know we drop the bar or it falls under the pins but uh, yeah. an athlete like you said they can uh, cop a broken arm or you know snap a, a ligament or something like that so there's a lot more at risk and and uh, yeah, I mean they're just different beasts, aren't they? Yeah, totally. And, and I also I really like that analogy you drew with the body, uh, with a fuel tank. And you know the car runs yeah. out of fuel, mm. and boom, it stops. You, you're stuck in the middle of the road. That's it. You're mm-hmm. on empty. But mm-hmm. the body over the millennia have d- developed all these different um, uh, adaptations mm. to to keep functioning when there's basically no fuel around. Yeah, uh, it's just built to survive. survival. That's it. it. You can drive yourself into that point of exhaustion. Yeah. But, uh, anyway. Look, we'll get uh, Broderick back for part two of that yep, yep, chat yep. And next week. Really looking forward to that. No mm-hmm. doubt the uh, listenership out there in Under the Bar Land will be uh, yeah, here, sitting I on the edge it. of their seat waiting mm-hmm. for the mm-hmm. next instalment of uh, Broderick Chavez, the evil genius. Yeah, so we had uh, Christian Maurice coming up. So yep. Perth, you want to rattle those dates off again? Top Perth, in. April 28th to the 30th. Tough team, Adam and uh, Christy Glossop. Melbourne, May 5th to the 7th. Sam Hanna, Iron Game Fitness. Sydney, May 10th to the 14th. And that's with the level, level one. one and two. And, two. and you can do them separately. Yep. So if you've done uh, level one, then mm-hmm. you can just sign up for the 13th and 14th for level yep. two. If it's all fresh to you, you can book in and do the whole wad, yep. or you could just start two. with uh, just a level one from 10th to the... Could they just start with level two? That's a spanner in the works. Oh, I'm sure they probably could. Yeah. yeah we'll I'm make sure they that happen could. if you just yeah. want to do the blood analysis. Yeah. So that's all coming up the first uh, seminar 
tour of uh, of the year through of many, uh, yes. of many, yeah, exciting times. All right, well, I'll have a lovely day out there in mm. uh, under the barland. I quite yeah, like no. that. I, I like that little uh, under the barland. Yeah, you there's, like that? There's a world out yeah, there. There is it's just full of. It's a fantasy world. Wizard sleeves yes. and spraffurisation, yeah, bolly waffles, <laughs> warts and all. It's a fantasy land. <laughs> warts and all. What else have they catch for us? Yeah, uh, n- up to the nuts and guts. Up to the nuts and guts. Yeah. All the above for those under the bar. Uh, yeah, really good. Uh, Someone yeah. leave us a speak pipe. Yeah. Come on, drop us a speak pipe. Yep, we're, speak pipe. We're overdue for one of those. Yep. Uh, Dubois Method, Insta, Facebook, Instagram, Insta. tomhewitt.com.au, uh, Cam, Rockstar, Menagoni, forward slash, yeah. facepalm, uh, Wookie. Give us a Wookie. That was my one. That was Rawdon's one. All right, oh, well, let's, oh, nice. uh, on, on that note, we'll fire up the Millennium Falcon. Let's yeah, get the let's hell get out, of out of here. here. Fire it up, uh, Chewy. <laughs>